We are talking about our eternal inheritance, and we had to be concerned about a watch. <laughs> so I think maybe we can turn them off too. Huh? <laughs> now I'll put it back on, just so nobody leaves. Okay. There's one other matter that I want to uh, <clears throat> mention to you. A brother reminded me that last year when we were fellowshipping about spiritual travail, that I felt so overwhelmed with this responsibility that I said it was like taking a teaspoon and taking the water from the bay and taking it to the ocean. So he brought me a teaspoon. <laughs> but this time I feel like the responsibility to take the ocean to the bay. This matter of spiritual inheritance is such a most important thing and a thing that involves everything that our God is doing. So it's a, a real blessing from the Lord that he has put this on the hearts of some brothers and sisters and he's indicated that this is what he wants us to fellowship uh, during this time we've had together. As you probably realize, we were not able to finish what we wanted to share yesterday afternoon. So I know it's, it's a little dangerous, but I want to try to bring a conclusion to what was in our heart yesterday. And then I want to try to focus on this matter that our brother Stephen began fellowshipping about this morning, inheriting our inheritance, inheritance possessing our possession. So let's pray together, brothers and sisters. Father, we find it almost impossible to find the words we need to express to you what you have already done and said to us during these hours we've been together. We do thank you from the bottom of our heart for bringing this matter before us and giving us this opportunity to fellowship in your presence, in your word, with one another. Now we are trusting tonight that as we continue to do this, that the Holy Spirit will have absolute freedom to be here among us and take the truth of your word and through it being spoken, even through a clay vessel, that Lord, it would become living by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, it would find lodging in our hearts. And because it's the truth, then we would be liberated from some of the things that are preventing us from entering in to this marvelous inheritance that we have in your Son. So we all put ourselves under the sovereign ruling of the Holy Spirit. We recognize you, blessed Holy Spirit, as being here among us. And you've been sent here to accomplish a work. And we want to say amen to all that you want to do. So we ask you to help us in every way with the speaking, with our understanding. Lord, blessed Holy Spirit, give us revelation, not just information, but give us a real deep spiritual understanding of what it means for us to have an inheritance and how we can enter into it. What are our responsibilities 
by your grace. So, Lord, we're before you. We thank you again from the depths of our heart for what you have already done. Now, Lord, continue by your grace. And we ask it in your Son's name. Amen. When we focus our hearts on this matter of the spiritual inheritance, I find for myself that this portion of God's Word called the letter to the Hebrews is especially helpful. Now, there are those who say that maybe this letter was not written to Jewish people. I know that's the title. But in the original, there is no title to this portion of God's Word. But those who have read it and studied it and meditated on it felt like it was written to some Jewish people, and therefore to the Hebrews. But brothers and sisters, I don't think that this letter is restricted to Jewish people. There's no question when we read this letter that there were people who had a deep, genuine, wonderful experience of God. The writer describes it in different ways. But the unfortunate thing was that something happened somewhere in this journey that they was on. Something catastrophic began to happen. They were walking well, they were going well, entering more and more into their inheritance. But something happened where they were turned away and they were going back to where they started from. Now, this letter, this portion of God's Word, in my reading of the Scriptures, has more to say about this matter of inheritance than maybe we have even considered before. Because there are two portions, two, two aspects of God's work that the writer spends much time talking about. One is the New Covenant. Brothers and sisters, as we read from our brother Nee's book yesterday, our inheritance is what is in the details of this New Covenant. And in this New Covenant, God has abundantly, totally, perfectly supplied everything now, I, you know the Word of God does not exaggerate. But in this new covenant, our inheritance is so rich and so complete that from the moment we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, there has been abundantly supplied everything we need for every day of our life and all the way out into eternity. Now, I know for some of you that sounds like an exaggeration. But I do not believe for one second that I am exaggerating. What is contained in this new covenant, what is our portion as our inheritance, is eternal and is complete. And the reason it is this way 
is because our inheritance is perfectly linked with the person of God's Son. And when you read this portion of God's Word, what you discover is that the solution, the thing that this writer wanted to communicate to his readers was the superiority of the Son of God and the work that he completed. Now, brothers and sisters, here's where I think maybe we have made some serious mistake. Not knowingly, but maybe being unaware of it. We have allowed our appreciation how we value the Son of God to somehow be lowered. That our appreciation of Him is not what it ought to be. And so maybe this generation could be very much helped by reading, meditating, seeking to put into practice what this writer has to say. I think it's a message for now. With all the things that are going on in this world, now, I know I'm a little older than most of you. I'm not as old as some, but I'm a little older than most of you. And my little bit of memory is I have never seen the world in such a condition as it's in tonight. To me, this is a sign that it's the end because the enemy is intensifying his efforts to try to frustrate this work that God is doing. Now, brothers and sisters, you know who are the targets, who are the main targets of the enemy's work. God's redeemed people. God's new covenant people. Those who have inherited a rich inheritance because he wants to prevent us from entering in and experiencing and making our own all that is ours in our Lord Jesus Christ. So I trust that somehow the Holy Spirit will underline for us what we said a moment ago. And that is, dear brother and sister in Christ, and I say it to myself as I say it to you, everything you need to be a victor, to be an overcomer, every day of your life, in every and any circumstance, and all the way out into eternity, has already been abundantly supplied. God doesn't have to do anything else. And all of this is contained in his Son. And so, in this letter, this portion of God's Word, we are told in chapter 1 that our Lord Jesus has been made heir of all things. Now, who made this decision? God made the decision that our Lord Jesus Christ, his Son, has been made the heir of how many things? All things. So it all belongs to him. But hallelujah, my brothers and sisters, we are heirs with of God, joint heirs with Christ. So it all belongs to him, but guess what? It all belongs to us too. 
because we're joint heirs. So whatever he has inherited belongs to us. So how can you become any more wealthy than you already are? It's already yours. God doesn't have to add anything. It's complete. When our Lord Jesus said, finished, nothing else needed to be done. Not just in terms of our being forgiven, but in terms of anything and everything that you and I will ever need. Our Lord Jesus, after he had been faithful, he had finished this work, he was exalted to the right hand of the Father. He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, and in cooperation with his Father, he sent the Holy Spirit to this planet. And for 2,000 years, our Lord Jesus has been faithfully fulfilling his responsibility, and the Holy Spirit is his representative here, fulfilling in the lives of God's people and bearing testimony in the whole world about our Lord Jesus. So you, you and I need to know. It needs to be so clear, so something that grabs a hold of our heart, that no matter what your circumstance, I don't, it doesn't make any difference where we live. The most difficult, maybe even New York City. <laughs> now, I would find it extremely difficult to live in Manhattan. I praise God for the brothers and sisters who take the grace and live there every day. But I know it's a challenge. But I want to say to you, in my understanding of the Word of God, if it's God's will for you to be there, then He has provided everything you need to be a victor, to be an overcomer living in Manhattan with all the things that are going on. Now, you may live out on a little farm where there's no neighbors for ten miles. Brothers and sisters, you need to be an overcomer there. And we need to know that in this inheritance, this eternal inheritance that has been provided for us through the work of the Son of God is adequate, appropriate, sufficient for any and every situation. Please don't think this is exaggeration. This is reality. He is our all in all. Now, is that just words? Nice sounding spiritual words? Or is it reality? Is he all you need in all situations? Is he? Is he? Well, he is, whether you want to say it or not. Maybe you're afraid to say it because you know if you do, <laughs> you're going to have to start putting it into practice when you go back. But I want us to spend some time here in the beginning to focus on something of what the writer of this portion of God's Word says about our blessed Lord Jesus, the Son of God. He says, first of all, that He is superior. This is His Word. This is His way of communicating to us how we need to focus our hearts in one place, looking unto Jesus. We'll get there a little bit later. But in the beginning... What this writer does for us 
It shows us the superiority, first of all, of our Lord Jesus over the prophets, superior over the angels, superior to Moses. We could go through and give you the Scripture references. Superior to Joshua, who led the people of God over into the promised land. He's superior because Joshua, there was still another rest awaiting the people of God. But our Joshua has led us into that rest. He is also superior to Aaron. And therefore, the writer calls him our great high priest. Not just a priest, not just a high priest, but a great. And you know, my dear brothers and sisters, when God says something is great, you better believe it. He is a great high priest. He is in a category all by himself. There's no one like him. And I want us to take a little bit of time to focus our hearts on some wonderful things about this great high priest that the writer says. In chapter 2, verse 17, we won't turn there, but if you want to turn, that's fine. But I need to be careful with the time. I respect your time, and I want to try to finish on time. But the writer tells us in chapter 2 and verse 17 that, first of all, that he's a merciful and faithful high priest. Now, to whom is he merciful? To us. To whom is he faithful? To his Father. He's faithful to us, too. But he's faithful to his Father, and he's merciful to us. This has such meaning for us, brothers and sisters, because we know by experience that regardless of how much understanding we have, how much clarity we have about what is available to us, we don't always avail ourselves of the riches that are ours in our Lord Jesus. We feel like we can pull it off on our own, and therefore, we don't need him. And time after time after time, we fall on our face as utter failures. But when we come back to him, there's no condemnation, no accusation, just mercy. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't want us to learn how to overcome. But he is very, very merciful. In chapter 4 and verse 15, the writer describes him as being sympathetic. He sympathizes with what? With our weaknesses. Now, let's be careful. He doesn't sympathize with our sin. He doesn't sympathize with anything but our weaknesses. So, one of the major problems that we have as the Lord's children is some of us are entirely too strong, and therefore we don't need him. And since we don't, we're strong enough in ourselves, we don't feel the need to have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. But you know, even in, Hebrew, in Romans chapter 8, our Lord Jesus not only sympathizes with our weaknesses, 
But who else? The Holy Spirit. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. Now, if you're a strong person, what has to happen? He has to deal with your strengths. And this is, is something that the Holy Spirit is an expert at. He knows your strong places, and he will carefully design situations to reduce you and me to weakness. Is this not Paul's experience in 2 Corinthians 12? He had these great revelations lifted up into the third heaven. And he says, and because of the greatness of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to him. A messenger from Satan. Oh, a messenger from Satan? You mean Satan even does some of God's work sometimes? He doesn't know he's doing it. Because he's not sovereign. But God is sovereign. A messenger from Satan to buffet me. And what did Paul learn from this experience? That when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, brothers and sisters, our blessed Lord is our great high priest. <laughs> he's not impressed with our strengths. But he is deeply impressed and responds wonderfully when we are in a place of weakness and we need him. As I was considering this, the Matthew 5, the so-called Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that this is where our Lord begins? in this so-called sermon. The first recorded message that we have that he gave. And this is where he begins. Blessed are those who are reduced to a nobody. Blessed are those who can't do it on their own. And one of the translations I have is, blessed are the poor in pride. And so our blessed Lord Jesus, our great high priest, it's no problem for you, for him, for you and me to be weak. This qualifies us to allow him to fulfill his ministry in our lives. He's also a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, you know we don't have time tonight to consider what all of this means. But it means, first of all, that our Lord Jesus, like Melchizedek, is a king. Like Melchizedek was the king of Salem, the king of righteousness. And so he's been made king of kings and lord of lords. This is our high priest. He's seated there in the highest position in the whole universe. And for 2,000 years, he has been sovereignly reigning over all the affairs on this planet. Nothing happens on this planet that is not under his sovereign rule. Now, he sovereignly permits things to happen. Doesn't mean that because he's sovereign over it, that everything that happens here is according to his will. 
But it does mean that just because there are rebels living on this planet, that in any way that affects his being the sovereign Lord. A sovereign decision was made by God himself that his son would have this position and nothing can ever change it. He is there, ruling, reigning, sovereignly. Now, the question is whether you and I are acknowledging this and it's a reality in our lives. In other portions in the Word of God, it simply means that we need to believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is what? Lord, King, Sovereign. And when we do, and we seek to work that out in practical ways, then his kingdom, his, his rulership, his kingship is a reality in our lives. And this should be wonderfully demonstrated in the assemblies where you and I meet. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be an issue that we are too concerned about. Because somewhere along the line, we have learned to do things very good according to us without even consulting him. And we, the consequences are very clear, my brothers and sisters. We are not connected in a living way to him as the head. And because of it, the churches have become something other than what he has in his heart and mind. But brothers and sisters, he is the king. He is the Lord. He is the head. And it's our responsibility to find a way to let that be real, personally and corporately. And when we do, we will know something more of our inheritance. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, I, w I wish we had the time, which we don't have the time, to take two hours. And for the first hour, you would sit and consider what you know of the Word of God to try to find the best words that describe your Lord Jesus. For instance, is he the Lamb of God or the Good Shepherd? Is he the Alpha or the Omega? We could go on and on and on. Many, many titles. And we can even tell from our own experience, even though we may not find the word in the Bible. But I would like to encourage us that having taken all of the words that we're able to discover, and then take some more time to consider the ones that are most important to you. Which ones register the deepest in your heart? Who is he to you? Is he your good shepherd? Well, hallelujah. Is he your king? Well, hallelujah. But we could go on and on and on. But here's what I want to say to us tonight. Dear brothers and sisters, if we spent this two hours thinking about this, meditating on it, working on it, and we came up with a wonderful description of who our Lord Jesus is, brothers and sisters, we would still fall so short. 
He is so wonderful beyond human words. And this is why you and I need to become more and more clear what is available to us because of who he is. He is a son of God. And he's more, he has more value than all the prophets, the angels, Moses, Joshua, Aaron, or anybody else. And I, my own little bit of observation is this. The reason we get into trouble, individually and corporately, is because we allow someone or something to replace his place in our lives. This is why this letter is so important. He is superior. He's in a category all by himself. We can't put anybody else even close to him. And when we do, we begin to devalue him and we devalue the covenant that we have with our God through him and therefore our inheritance doesn't mean as much to us as it should. It's a serious matter. And many times it has to do with the way we think about him. May God help us. If you have any little thoughts, little things, if you have devalued him in your thinking, I plead with you, repent of that. Change the way you think. Take the word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to take the truth of God's word and get it into your thinking to where you think the way the word of God presents our Lord Jesus. He is superior. And anything... I don't care what it is, no matter how good it is. If it is a substitute for him, then it's idolatry. And it's, de it's devaluing him as a person. And so you know in reading this letter to the Hebrews, what he's trying to do is to hold the Lord Jesus before them so that their value of him would increase and increase and increase. Because you see, my brothers and sisters, our inheritance is in Him. It's not something. It's all the treasures. All the spiritual treasures. You remember what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with what? every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now again, God doesn't exaggerate. How many blessings? Every one of them. Where? Where? In Christ. All the blessings of heaven are located in Him. And He put us in Him and put Him in us. And we now become joint heirs. All that's in Him belongs to us. There's no way. God can't add anything else to us. That is what is available to us. And this is why there needs to be this deep hungering. Lord, I want everything that belongs to me. And when the Father can find some children like that and are willing to, to meet the conditions necessary, all of heaven rejoices. Now you know heaven rejoices. The angel rejoices when one sinner repents. 
Well, brothers and sisters, what do you think happens in heaven when some of God's children, His sons, enter into the fullness of their inheritance? Oh, hallelujah. I think we'll hear, we will hear heaven singing, the angels singing. If more and more of us would be determined by the grace of God to take everything that's been made available to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say this again to my dear young brothers and sisters. You don't have to have gray hair to begin to enter in to this inheritance. It's yours the moment you believe. And you need to find a way to be encouraged and encourage one another to enter in in a fuller way. Brothers and sisters, I know we can say these things too strongly, and I'm, I don't want to do that. But I want to say to us, there are no excuses. Sorry. Now, there are reasons. But once the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to see something, He immediately, along with the seeing, will impart to you the grace you need to go in there and make it yours. As our brother Stephen says, you need to go in and put the sole of your foot down on it. It's mine. Otherwise, it just remains there. But it's mine. I want it. In a sense, we need to become radical and say, Lord, I want it all. Like our brothers told us last night about Caleb. He's 85 years old, and I still want more. So our Lord Jesus is the King. He's a priest of the Most High God. His priesthood, according to chapter 3, I mean, chapter 7, verse 3, it's a perpetual one. Now, you know that because the tribe of Levi, the priests, it changed from time to time because they were only human beings. And they died. And they had to change the priesthood. When Aaron died, somebody else had to become the high priest. But hallelujah, brothers and sisters, our high priest, permanent. Why? Because he always lives to make intercession. Not only is he permanent, but it's perpetual. It's ongoing. No change. And finally, he says in chapter 7, verse 28, it's perfect. He is a perfect high priest. As the Son of God, he's perfect. When God was searching for someone to be the great high priest, well, he found one in his own son. So, my dear brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us again. Stop thinking that Jesus is still is on a vacation. Some of you don't even think about it. What has he been doing for 2,000 years? Many of us are totally... <laughs> Unaware. We, we don't even think about it. But he's there at the Father's right hand. I mean, he's as close to the Father as you can get. And he's right there. And guess where his eye is? His eye is on you. And he's interceding for you. What do you think he's asking the Father? Father, help them come in all to all of the inheritance. Help them come in to experience all that I provided for them when I gave my life. Under this new covenant that I made with my blood, help them to come in and enter in and be, make it theirs for themselves. 
In 722, the writer tells us that he is also the guarantor of the new covenant. Oh, brothers and sisters, I wish there were time for us to take, to, to focus on this for a while. This is so glorious. It's all, I tell you, for me in my mind, it's almost impossible to believe this. If it were not the word of God, I would not believe it. Sorry, but I would not. Do you know what it means for our Lord Jesus to be our guarantor? Maybe your translation says guarantee. Now, you know I have learned a few Portuguese words. And the ones I've learned is ones that have somehow caught my heart. And the word in Portuguese for guarantor or surety is fiador. Now, a fiador is someone, let's suppose you, need, you are in an emergency situation and you need to borrow $5,000. But you have no collateral, you have nothing, all you, you, want, you need to go to the bank, but they're not going to give you $5,000 because you don't have anything to back it up. But you have a friend, and he has the necessary resources. So you get him to go with you and co-sign on the loan. Now, what happens if you don't pay? What happens if you don't pay? He pays. Hallelujah, brothers and sisters. That's what it means for Jesus to be the guarantee of this new covenant. If you don't keep it, guess what? He keeps it. I know you don't believe it. I know you don't believe it. I didn't either. But this is what the Word of God says. Because He has come to live in us. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. But you see, we feel like that when it comes to these things, that we are the ones who have to do it by our own human energy and strength and willpower. But this is not God's way. This is not new covenant. The new covenant is that God has given us a new heart, a new spirit, and put His spirit in us. Now, Whose spirit is it that comes to live in us? It's the spirit of Christ. The spirit of God. So God himself is coming to live inside of us to be our Theodore. When we can't pay it, he does. When we don't fulfill the conditions of the new covenant, he is there to do it for us. You still don't believe. I don't care whether you believe it or not, but it's true. And I pray God, by his mercy, will open our eyes to see that Christ is our all in all. He's not only the one who makes this covenant. He's not only the mediator of this covenant. He is the one who keeps this covenant inside of us. What does it mean when Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me? When Christ who is my life, what does this mean? It means that he is inside us to be to us and for us everything that we need. This is our inheritance. And our Lord Jesus is there on the throne. And by the Spirit of God, he is being our guarantor. He's our surety that the covenant will be kept. Hallelujah, brothers. Maybe you don't have a hallelujah in my heart, but I have many of them in my heart. Tonight, when I realize that this is what God has provided he is our guarantor and mediator. 
Finally, in terms of the high priest, he is the author and finisher of faith. Now, we're going to, fel- we're going to fellowship about this matter of faith in a few moments. But our Lord Jesus is the beginner and the finisher of faith. And we're going to see that in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a long list of those who by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, under the old covenant, okay? But under the new covenant, our Lord Jesus is the author and finisher. And as our dear brother mentioned to us this morning, it's by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of. Not in, but of. It belongs to him. Brothers and sisters, he's living in us. It's his faith. Not ours. It's his faith. Even in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourself. What does that refer to? It's a relative pronoun. What does it relate to? The grace... Well, we know grace is free, but what about the faith? Where does it come from? It comes from God. He gives us a measure of faith. And so our Lord Jesus is the author, the beginner, and the finisher. The author and the consummator of faith. Not our faith, his faith. Now, you know he has this long list of people. But our Lord Jesus is superior to all of them. And he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Two more ways in which our Lord Jesus is superior. He's superior because he has established a superior covenant, a better covenant. You can find it in 8, chapter 8, verse 6. Brothers and sisters... (laughs) the benefits, the promises of this new covenant are again something you and I need to find a time and a place. Shut the door and get alone by yourself and begin to let the Holy Spirit open our eyes to see everything that is yours. Now, I want to be very careful what I say. But let's suppose tonight, after the meeting, someone comes to you and says, <clears throat> I've been sent here by a lawyer. You have a rich relative who died last week, and he left you $3 million. Do you think you would sleep tonight until you found out what were the details? Huh? You think you would go to sleep? Probably not. Probably you'd leave this conference and go find that lawyer <laughs> and find out what is mine? What, what, what did I inherit? My dear brothers and sisters, please, what you have inherited as being a member of the new covenant, a new covenant people, it's, there's not even any way to compare it. Far beyond all comparison. Anything earthly you could ever have. We are multi-trillionaires. Yes, as co-heirs of Christ, He owns it all. How much is this world worth? But all of it is his. And we are co-heirs with him. We have inherited with him. 
all of these things. When I stand here and look out upon you, I'm looking at the wealthiest people in the universe. And you're looking at one of the wealthiest people in the universe. <laughs> now you think this is, this is no joke. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, there's conditions, but anyhow, this is the emphasis right now. And this new covenant has superior promises. Now, I want us to focus for the rest of our time on how do we enter into, how do we make experience, in experience, these wonderful this wonderful inheritance that is ours in Christ. Now you, let's be, get something clear, okay? Again, there is no lack. There's no emergency situation with God. There is an abundant supply for you and every one of God's children. So don't think. You know, some, some of God's dear children, they even put it this way. Well, the reason I don't ask the Lord for something is because there's others who need it more than I do. <laughs> and then there's others whose attitude is like an illustration that our brother Lance gave us a number of years ago. They had purchased a place where they were going to meet. A lot of work had to be done on it because it had been bombed out. This was back in the 1950s. And they had a plot of land and they had this big house and then there was a little house separate from the big house. And apparently they, when they bought the property, they never looked at it. But one day when they were working on this big house, one of the young men ran in and began to say, Lance, 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 there's a woman living in that little house outside. Now, there's no toilet, nothing. She had taken old clothes, put them in this little, little building, and this is where she lived. Lance says, I don't believe it. Well, you know Lance. So he goes running out there, and he begins to say, and he, I remember her name. I'll never forget. Her name was Mrs. Williamson. And he said, Mrs. Williamson, what are you doing living in this little place? She said, well, I've gone down to the so-called Social Security office, the place where they supply uh, the, the money you need when you're in a situation like this, but they won't give me my money. So Lance could not believe it, so he goes down to the, to the office. And the way I remember it is, when he mentioned Mrs. Williamson's name, everybody in the office turned and looked, because she had been there many times. And so he asked to speak to the manager. And the manager said, Mr. Lambert, we're not able to give Mrs. Williamson any money at all. The fact is, she has enough money to have a palace and servants for the rest of her life. And we can't give her any money. The government, the laws won't permit us to do so. So he goes back and has a conversation with Mrs. Williamson and points out to her what they said. And her response was, I don't think my father would want me to use that inheritance. <laughs> Here she is living in poverty, and she has enough money to live in a palace. Brothers and sisters, please, this brings sadness to the heart of our Father when we live in this kind of situation, when all the riches are ours, 
And his son has purchased them for us. They are in him. And therefore we need, and we'll discover hopefully what we need to do to inherit our inheritance. Now as our brother read from Joshua chapter 1 this morning, it's very clear. This already belonged to the children of Israel because God had made a covenant with Abraham. And you remember, as our brother shared with us, the making of the covenant was they cut an animal in two, some animals in two, and they laid them side by side, and then they would walk through. The two parties would walk through. But what happened with Abraham? God put Abraham to sleep because he knew Abraham couldn't keep his end of the bargain. So he put him to sleep, and God walked through on his own. What is he saying? I'll, I'll be responsible for Abraham's part too. I will surely bless thee, and I will surely multiply thee. Did he? Without Abraham. Because he made a covenant. But he was also making covenant with himself. So, brothers and sisters, for us to go in there and take what is already ours, we have to do it by faith. We have to go in and put the sole of our foot down on what is already ours before it becomes ours experientially. Now, is this clear? In other words, it's already been abundantly supplied. Nothing more needs to be added. Every, dear brother and sister, everything we need to live victoriously, to be a, living an overcomer, this song we sang, an overcomer, an overcomer, there is all we need to live 100% of the time as overcomers. Now, do we do it? No. But that doesn't mean that, the, that somehow uh, there's been a shortage in what God has supplied. The problem is not on that end. The problem is on our end of not knowing how to go in and possess. We're not very good receivers at times because we're so proud to think that we can do it on our own and we don't need him. May the Lord help us. Now, I want us to read some, past, uh, some verses in Hebrews again. Let's begin in chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Now, there's many verses would be good for us to read, but we don't have the time. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it, I want to read it again. Follow along carefully. Therefore, let us fear while our promise remains of entering his rest, and any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For, indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest. Now, brothers and sisters, what I hear this writer say, there's only one thing that prevents us from going in and inheriting our inheritance. What is it? Unbelief. A lack of faith. Unbelief. It's already ours. The same way it was with the children of Israel. This was a covenant that God had made 400 years earlier. 
even before that. And it was already theirs. But you remember when they came down to Kadesh Barnea. And it was time to go over. The first act of unbelief was sending in the spies. Why did they need to send in spies? If God said it's already yours, why do you have to send in spies? Why didn't they just say, okay, part the waters, let's go? No, they didn't. And you know the story. Because of their unbelief, because of their disobedience, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation died out. And God had another group of people to go in. Now this is written for our admonition. This is written for our instruction. This is to be a learning lesson for us. Because the same thing can happen to us that happened to them. That's why the writer says, let us fear. We don't like the word. But I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, we need to hear what the word of God has to say to us. What if you have all of this inheritance out before you, but you stay on the other side of the Jordan? You don't obey. You don't learn how to obey. You don't learn how to put your faith into practice. Then it's all there. It remains yours. Now, you know our God is full of mercy, but he's also righteous. And we're going to be judged. Now, what application does this have for us right now? Well, I'm going to share with you my understanding, and I'm prepared to be adjusted and corrected. But when I read in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, what I discover is that there's coming a time in God's economy when a certain group of people are going to be raised in the first resurrection. Now, there's a second resurrection. But it's clear to me from those verses that not everybody is going to be part of the first resurrection. It's those who have not followed the beast, who don't have the sign of the beast on their forehead, don't have the sign of the beast on their hand, but basically they have followed the lamb wherever he has gone. And their reward? To reign with Christ for a thousand years. To sit on the throne with him and reign with him. Now this is part of our inheritance. I don't remember which song it was in. Oh, the one, I think, the, where it talks about to share his throne. A victor, a victor, yes? To share his throne with him. To sit on the throne with him. Is these just words we sing? Or is this something that is a hope in our heart? Something we're looking forward to, trying to be faithful now, so that the Lord can say to us, well done. But if we haven't been doing well, he cannot say well done. Now, this has, this has nothing to do with our eternity, okay? This has to do when our Lord Jesus returns to this planet, sets up his kingdom here, and he needs some people that will be with him on the throne governing this planet. And he's seeking to prepare those for this responsibility. Now, everything that is needed has been richly and abundantly supplied. 
but we need to learn how to put into faith, put into practice our faith, so that we are appropriating that which is necessary for us to sit with him on that throne. Don't think, brothers and sisters, get rid of this foolish idea that he's going to just somehow wave a magic wand and you're going to be prepared. No. It's the everyday being faithful, obeying, learning to obey day by day by day. Now, I hope you'll forgive me for using a personal example, a personal illustration. It has to do with my... He was five years, my son Benjamin, he was five years old, about three months ago. And one of the difficulties that my son Benjamin has is maybe something that all of us have a little problem with, obedience. Yeah? And so he has much energy, has his own ideas of how he wants to do things. And, and he, it, it takes five times of saying, Benjamin, 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 Benjamin. Now he is a very clever in some ways. One day we were going to go out to a restaurant and I sat down and talked with him in advance and I said, now Benjamin, we're going out and I'd like for us to enjoy being together with our friends at the restaurant. But I want you to know that if you don't obey, Papa is going to find a way uh, to uh, bring discipline to you. And that meant going to the bathroom in the restaurant. So you know what happened. <clears throat> he and I had to head to the bathroom. <laughs> so he goes in ahead of me and he sits down on the toilet and he looks up at me and said, Dad, can we talk? <laughs> now, about three months ago, he and I were sitting at the breakfast table having a conversation about different things and somehow the conversation got turned to the Lord. And uh, I began to say to him, I said, Benjamin, you know, when I read the Bible, it says that God has all of these wonderful blessings he wants you and I to enjoy every day of our life. And I said, Benjamin, you know, there's only one thing the Lord requires that we do in order for those blessings to be out. He said, yes, Dad, I know, I know. I was shocked. <laughs> I know. I said, what, Ben? He said, obey. I couldn't believe it. So on my MSN logo, I had for many years, he never fails, speaking about our Lord Jesus. Now I change my logo. Lord Jesus, teach me to obey all day, every day. Just from what Benjamin said to me. And so I wrote a song for Benjamin. Please, some of you who have to stand beside me when I'm singing, but I want to sing my song for you. Today is the day Benjamin learns to obey. Today is the day Benjamin learns to obey. Today is the day Benjamin learns to obey. Hallelujah, hallelujah, he's learning to obey. <laughs> Dear brothers and sisters, only one lesson. Only one lesson. How do we appropriate the riches of our inheritance? One thing. Just obey. And God has done absolutely everything to make it possible. How? 
because he sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us to reveal to us what we need to do and to give us the grace that we need to do it. Now again, this new covenant sounds so marvelous, so unbelievable that I don't believe, I think some of us don't believe it. But everything, there is absolutely nothing. See, like we mentioned previously and our brother Stephen mentioned this morning, what does it take in order for the Lord to bring us to this place where we can say that I know in my flesh there is no good thing? But it's necessary. Because this is living a life, as our Lord Jesus taught it on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are willing to start at the bottom without anything. That's what he say, says are the blessed people. These are the people who inherit their inheritance, who experience it here and now, who know beyond any question of a doubt there is nothing in them that can enable them to come into and experience this inheritance. But the writer of Hebrews, you know, he calls this letter a word of exhortation. And it seems to me there are two aspects to exhortation. And as we mentioned the other night, none of us like to be exhorted. But here, because of the situation, it was a necessary thing that needed to be done. It was a manifestation of the mercy of their Lord. He warned them, fear, be afraid. They were doing things that put their inheritance in jeopardy. And God did not ignore the situation. But he moved upon this right. And he wrote this letter to this group of people who were going the right direction. They were entering into some of their inheritance. But something happened. And they turned back. And the writer even had to tell them in chapter 10 as well as in chapter 6 they were, they were, doing, they were moving in a very dangerous way. They were trampling underfoot the Son of God. They were devaluing the blood of the covenant. And they were insulting the spirit of grace. Now when we do that kind of thing, brothers and sisters, there's no way we can get our inheritance. We are totally at the mercy. It's in the Son of God that we have our inheritance. It is because of the covenant that God has made in the blood of his Son that makes this inheritance available to us. And it is the blessed Holy Spirit who enables us to come and enter into it. So if we insult him, we're left to ourselves. And so the writer here mentions some practical things we can do by faith. This is why it's important that we understand that our faith needs to be a living faith. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer gives us not so much a definition, but a description of what faith does. He says, faith is the substantiating of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, 
Can you see your inheritance with these eyes? No. Is there an inheritance? Do you have an inheritance according to the word of God? Yes, but you can't see it. So what does faith do? (laughs) Well, first of all, it makes real in our experience. He substantiates that which is hoped for. And it is the conviction of things not seen. Now you know, dear brothers and sisters, when you read this letter to the Hebrews and you get to chapter 11, it's a marvelous chapter. And so he begins by helping us understand what faith does. It takes that inheritance and brings it into our everyday living experience. That is, we need to be clear that every day of our life, God has looked in advance to what you're going to experience tomorrow, the rest of this day, tomorrow, and for all the rest of your life, and all the way out into eternity. And he has abundantly supplied everything you need. I don't know how many years ago, but one day I was meditating on Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, this matter about all the blessings, having blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, was uh, working in my heart. And I don't have visions, but I saw a vision. I saw in in my mind a big room filled with file cabinets. And I noticed one, my name was on one of them. So, you know, I went over and looked to see what was in that file cabinet. And when I opened the drawer, what I understood was this. There was a file for every day. Of my, I didn't look to the end, but there was a file for every day of my life. And I was made to understand that in that file was the grace I needed for that day. And what I was made to understand was what brought joy to my father's heart is if at the the end of the day the file was empty except enough grace to get up and take the next one the next day. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is for every one of us. No exceptions. It doesn't make any difference what kind of a person you are. You're a child of God. You're an heir. Your inheritance is there. It's yours. But it's by faith that we take it out and make it ours. So when the difficulties, the the problems, the challenges, all the things that are happening, may the Holy Spirit remind us there is all we need available to us for us to be an overcomer in that situation. Remember Romans 8.37? I hope you memorize this verse. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Overwhelmingly conquer in all things, all situations. That's what the Word of God says. Now, I have 12 points. 12 things that I have selected that the writer says. We'll go through them quickly because I don't want to keep you too long. So let's go back, first of all, 
to chapter 2. And we'll just go through the different chapters quickly. Chapter 2 of Hebrews. Verse 1. For this reason, this is the first way we put our faith to work. How we substantiate that which is already ours. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. So that's the first thing. Is that we need to learn to listen by faith. Now you know your God is faithful to speak to you. And to communicate to you what he requires of you in any given situation. With the understanding that what you need in order to be obedient has already been supplied. The Holy Spirit is inside of you, prepared to take what is yours in Christ and make it yours in experience. So you need to learn how to listen. Now we mentioned something the other day that I'd like to just quickly mention here. It seems to me, brothers and sisters, that this new covenant that God has made in the blood of his Son is a covenant with the new man, not with the old man. He's given us a new heart and a new spirit, and he's put his spirit inside of us. And this new man needs to be able to listen. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. How many times do we hear the Lord Jesus saying that? Both in the Gospels and in the book of Revelation. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So it means that we're not responsible if God doesn't speak. But has he spoken? In these last days, he has spoken to us superior to the prophets. He has spoken us clearly, completely, everything that needs to be said, he's spoken in his Son. And we have it recorded for us. And the blessed Holy Spirit has been sent here to take it and make it real to us. So we need to be good listeners. We need to do what Solomon, when the Lord came to Solomon and said, Solomon, I'll give you anything you want. You remember what request Solomon made? I know some of the translations says wisdom. No. He said, give me a listening heart. A heart that can hear you. Because all the wisdom is in God. And the Holy Spirit can take that wisdom and impart it to us in any situation. If we can learn, brothers and sisters. Now, we need to learn to ask and to be open when we are faced with situations. And trust, we learn how to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. Secondly, chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus as the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now consider him. That doesn't mean just to hear somebody preach about it. It means that you take this word of God and you get alone by yourself and let the Holy Spirit help you understand what it means for Jesus to be your apostle and high priest. Now, we can't go into these things tonight, but I'm suggesting to us if we want to enter into our inheritance, part of our inheritance is who Jesus is. He is the apostle, He is our high priest. And by faith, we need to experience the reality of it. 
Praise God, when some of the prayers, I heard somebody praying and referring to our Lord Jesus as our high priest. But this is something we normally don't do, brothers and sisters. And what it reveals is, this is not clear in our understanding. And I'm praying that all of us will, our understanding of who he is as our apostle and high priest. Now, as apostle, he was sent here, he finished his work, it's finished. As a high priest, he's gone back to the Father, sat down at the Father's right hand and taking all that he accomplished and making it available to you and me now by the Holy Spirit. That's our high priest. Thirdly, verse 1, we read this earlier. Therefore, let us fear while a promise remains of entering his rest. Brothers and sisters, there needs to be a holy fear. We could miss much of what God has provided for us because it doesn't mean enough to us. It doesn't have the value to us that it should have. And therefore, we don't pay the necessary price to enter into it. Verse 11, Hebrews 4. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. In other words, you don't, you don't get into this rest by riding on an airplane. You have to diligently enter into this rest. It means working at it. Now, where is the big obstacle? Who is the big obstacle? We are. Does your old man die easily for you? Well, if he does, I'll, please come and tell me your secret. He doesn't die easy for me. So we need to be diligent. Verse 16 of chapter 4. Let us draw near to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace to help in terms of need. Now, brothers and sisters, please. There is a place been provided for us. It's called the throne of grace. Guess who's sitting on the throne? Guess who's sitting on the throne? Our great high priest. He's a merciful high priest. And you will find him always ready to be merciful. But he's also the one who's full of grace. And he gives us grace upon grace upon grace. But if we never go into the throne room, if we never draw near, then it means we're trying to do it on our own strength. And it's foolishness. It's failure. And so we need to humble ourselves and learn how to come. Find a time. Designate a time. Preferably the same time every day. And even if something happens, you can't go in at that time. Find another time during the day. There's nothing more important than for us to find this time to draw near to this throne of grace. Grace upon grace. Verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Let us press on to maturity. Now, for some of us, we need to hear this. We've been in a baby stage or a childhood stage entirely too long. Now is the time to take the grace and to press on and overcome some of the things that you're allowing to interfere with your growing in Christ. Chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast to our confession. Chapter 12, verse 1. 
Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, brothers and sisters, as Americans, you have many encumbrances. I guess it's true in all cultures. But my wife had a question for me when she first came to visit U.S. She said, Ernie, I see all these people have garages, but their cars are sitting outside. Can you please explain to me? I explained to her many encumbrances. The garage is so full of things they don't need, there's no place for the car. Is it true? Is it true? And we're never satisfied. Some new thing comes, got to have it right now. And it can become an encumbrance. I want to be very careful. I think one of the encumbrances that have been foisted upon us in these recent days are cell phones. Anyhow, I won't go there, okay? <laughs> but laying aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles our feet, what is that sin? Unbelief. Disobedience. Now, brothers and sisters, please, there is grace available. As part of our inheritance, there is a supply of grace for us to overcome the unbelief. By God's grace, we need to declare war on every facet of unbelief in your life. I'll tell you this, you'll not get any of your inheritance experientially through unbelief. You'll never have it. It'll be a great hindrance to you. So declare war on it. Let the Holy Spirit take the word of God. And where you're weak in faith, certainly. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But let's make that prayer. Where you find unbelief, ask the Lord to help you with it. So that you overcome the unbelief. So that you can experience more of the inheritance that is yours. Chapter 12, verse 2. Let us run with endurance. Our dear brother Abraham this morning helped us to see the importance of running this race. It's a long distance. It's a marathon, brothers and sisters. The issue is not winning. The issue is finishing. And you can see from reading this Hebrew letter, many of them were in danger of never finishing the race. Don't let that be your experience. It's not necessary. Everything that you need in order to finish the race has been provided for you. So let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Considering that we are surrounded by a, a great cloud of witness. People who have already run the race with less grace than what we have. They didn't have the revelation that we have. Our Lord Jesus had not come yet. But I counted 20, 26 people by name that the writer of Hebrews mentions in the 11th chapter. That they ran the race by faith. 20 times, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And I also counted another 24 things that they did. So 50 things in total, all by faith, by faith. And the Lord Jesus had not come as the author and finisher of faith. And so what does he say? 
Brothers and sisters, we have better, something better provided for us. We have more responsibility to learn how to live by faith. This is the only way for us to enter into our inheritance. The just, the righteous, shall live by faith. Twice we find it in the New Testament and once in the Old Testament. So, let's learn how. And then chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him, again, even though he endured great antagonism against him. But he said he did not become weary. But you see, we could become weary. This is one of the dangers. But my dear brothers and sisters, please, I know I keep saying this, and I don't want to in any way belittle it or devalue it. But everything you need, we don't have to become weary. Isn't this what our brother told us this morning? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. But you need to come. He's not going to push you into a corner and force this yoke on you. You have to come. And so, without him, I can tell you, you're going to get weary. So, he doesn't want us to get weary and give up. And there's grace. Chapter 12, verse 28. Let us show gratitude. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, how can we not be a grateful people? How can we somehow begin to see something of the riches that are ours in Christ and not be able to say thank you again and again? Ten thousand thanks, ten thousand thanks. We sing them more and more. We need to be the most grateful people walking the face of this earth because we are the richest and it's all been given to us because we're members of a new covenant. And then finally, chapter 13, verse 13, let us go out to him outside the camp. Brothers and sisters, let's face something. The world did not receive our Lord Jesus when he came here in the flesh. And they're not prepared to receive him now. And so we need to realize that if you're going to live in the reality of your inheritance, you're going to encounter some hostility. You need to be willing to go out and face it. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Blessed. So my dear brothers and sisters, I know I've taken more of your time. But I trust that we see what God has provided for us in this great inheritance. Everything. Not only that, he's given us a great high priest to help us enter into, to know how to take our inheritance and make it ours. He even creates in us the faith we need to appropriate, to substantiate, to make real in our experience what we need for that inheritance to become ours. What can we say? What can we say, brothers and sisters? Hallelujah. We are the richest people. Our inheritance is beautiful to us. So let's take a few moments and uh, some of you verbalize to the Lord uh, a way in which we can show him gratitude and uh, tell him we want to enter in to all that is ours as heirs of God and joint heirs 
with Christ. 